When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, we are going to talk about some of the dangers you might face while you're out exploring in the great outdoors, and how to make sure you stay safe from, say, a rattlesnake or a sudden snowstorm, which can still happen this time of year in the Northwest. That's right. You know, Jim, both my editor and my mom have told me how nervous they get whenever <laughs> I go out into the wilderness by myself for work. And what I've told them both in the past, and I, I recognize this might not be super helpful for them anyway, is that while I'll do the best I, that I can to stay safe, there's always a risk in outdoor recreation. It's just an inherent part of the experience. Yeah, you know, you can be doing everything right and something just happens. And mm -hmm. that, like you said, part of the deal. But we don't want to scare anyone, of course, against going outside. It's just always a good idea to be aware of the dangers you could possibly face and know how to keep yourself safe in those situations. So, uh, of course, Jamie, we have some of the more rare dramatic dangers such as animal attacks, right? Mm -hmm. And others that are maybe uh, a little bit more sneaky, uh, say the ground uh, kind of uh, collapsing under your feet, if you will, on a trail, and some that you can hopefully forecast against, like uh, the weather, for example, turning south. Yeah, that's right. And Jim, we're going to talk about all of those dangers today, at least the ones that seem most common or the ones that people most commonly worry about. And before we get started, I, I do want to mention some aspects of this that we're not going to get into. And that's some of the dangers associated with surviving in the wilderness, things like poisonous mushrooms, berries, uh, finding water, that sort of thing. Yeah. So with these dangers, of course, we're making an assumption that you're not going to be stuck outside overnight needing to survive. And that's a great conversation to have, of course, but not the one we're having here today. So, uh, Jamie, where do you say we get started here? More common to more extreme, maybe? Yeah, let's save the uh, the bears for last here and start <laughs> with stuff that um, people are probably more likely to get uh, involved in. Let's start with, oh, geez, you know, we're going on a hike and oftentimes that hike is to a beautiful viewpoint and that viewpoint might be near a precipice of some sort, a cliff, mm -hmm. some loose rocks, some falling potential. The obvious tip, of course, is to steer clear, give yourself a wide berth. 
uh, watch your footing. What am I missing here? Yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much have it. Is It's be careful around steep edges, precipices, cliffs, uh, sandstone bluffs, um, anything where, you know, there might be a danger of you falling and plummeting to your death or to serious injury. You just want to, like you said, Jim, give yourself uh, some plenty of space. If you're going to be taking a selfie, don't do it right at the edge and don't cross any fences in order mm-hmm. to get a slightly better view. A lot of people mm-hmm. do this. I see it all the time. And like, look, those fences are there for a reason. They're there to say this edge is unstable. It is dangerous. Stay on the right side of it. And even if uh, there's no fence, say you're out in the wilderness and, uh, of course, you can choose how close you want to get to the side of a cliff or not, recognize that uh, maybe that hillside may not be 100% stable if you walk out Mm -hmm. to the very edge. Maybe those rocks might shift under your weight. Make sure you're moving in ground where you feel confident. Yeah. I mean, there's some areas to to worry about, um, areas like where there's loose rock. Um, it's often called scree mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, really difficult to maneuver. And, you know, I've heard stories of sudden rock slides who will get trapped or even just people twisting or breaking an ankle trying to navigate some loose rocks. So really, I think that the key is be, be aware of your footing and just don't do anything that is too risky. Agreed, Jamie. Thing number two here that we need to talk about is... Uh, up in more alpine environments, more high elevation environments, Jamie, you can still find snow. In fact, you don't even have to work that mm-hmm. hard to go find it this time of year. A lot of trails are still going to have snow on them at upper elevations. You know, some trails are going to think you're going to go hike, uh, you know, your, your favorite high elevation spot in mid June, early June. You know, we got news for you. Uh, it, it may not be time yet. Uh, and with snow, of course, there is a different inherent set of dangers and, Keep in mind, a lot of these uh, may be more prescient during times when snow is actively falling. Folks should be aware of, say, you're on a ridge line. You know, you've been walking up there, maybe using some micro spikes or some crampons, or you've been booting up all day to reach this beautiful spot. And there is overhanging a cornice, let's say, a buildup of snow um, that is maybe not supported by, uh, you know, the, the rest of the landscape around it. You don't want to go stand on that cornice, Jamie, for fear of that collapsing um, and leading to a potentially serious fall. Yeah, we see this a lot at places like Crater Lake, for example, where wind will blow snow over the edge of, say, a cliff or, um, you know, just a, a a sheer drop. And it'll make it look like the snow is directly over top of that land, but it's not over top of anything. So people walk out there and if the snow is melting a little bit, say it can collapse and they fall right through. It is a super big danger in a lot of places out here in the Cascades. Very much so. Uh, Additionally, Jamie, other hazards, tree wells. We talk about this where, say, you have a nice big uh, evergreen tree. The snow is falling all around it and on the tree, but the tree is dense enough where it is, for lack of a better way of putting it, catching all of that snow and leading to a big hole underneath its branches. So if you were Mm -hmm. to, say, be skiing or snowshoeing or just hiking through the woods and you set foot in one of these holes or, you know, ski into one, you name it, and could be caught there. Um, that's very uh, obvious, dangerous hazard there, something you should avoid. Yeah, that's especially big in ski season. It's very yep. easy to ski into one of those and get yourself tipped over headfirst. And a lot of people end up um, dying or getting seriously injured because of that. 
And Jim, of course, you're the ski expert here, but avalanches is another one of those things. If you're skiing in the backcountry, especially, um, you've got heavy snowfall. Uh, that's that's something just to be aware of. So if you're going to be skiing in some of that backcountry area, you're going to want to make sure you know your avalanche safety when you're out there. And practical tips for those who are not uh, backcountry skiers or snowboarders, but people who are entering what we would call avalanche terrain. Um, the Northwest Avalanche Center is a great resource uh, during the predominant kind of snowy season. They do daily avalanche forecasts this time of year. Uh, folks also still continue to contribute observations to that website, so showing off what they've seen out in the backcountry. Other things to note as well, avalanche terrain is not just the steep slopes. Uh, say you're trying to go uh, summit a mountain and need to climb 35 degree snow slope to get there. It is also terrain underneath those slopes where snow could slide. So be mindful of this if you're, say, going to be snow camping and are setting up your tent uh, somewhere near avalanche terrain. If you're going to be hiking uh, beneath an area where snow could fall or uh, otherwise rocks or, or other debris could fall, um, you know, may not be the first concern that crosses a lot of folks' minds, especially in the late spring and early summertime. But uh, something to be aware of and when in doubt, uh, gather more information and try to learn as much as you can about where you're going. Yeah. And Jim, you mentioned that unseasonable snow is something people need to be concerned about this time of year. Um, but I think weather in general is, yeah. is a danger that I think is really kind of underrated. You know, say people want to go on a big backpacking trip and they don't plan for rain. Um, we see this happen all the time up in Mount Hood. You know, you, when you're going out there, you really want to make sure you have gear with you that is going to be good for whatever the weather might bring. So, you know, if it's going to be an area where it could rain, there could be a thunderstorm, make sure you have, you know, the right jackets, um, you know, the right kind of boots or extra change of clothes. If there's lightning outside, you know, make sure that you're, you know what to do when there is lightning. So, you know, don't go park yourself under a tree, you know, all, all of these, these great lightning tips that we're told, I think, as we're kids, just keep in mind when you're out there. And of course, Jim, kind of one of the bigger weather issues we're seeing now is wildfires. Yeah. That's something that we need to have in the back of our minds now. Pretty much every summer that we go outside, you know, you need to have a plan to get out of somewhere if a fire breaks out. I carry N95 masks in the back of my car oh, with me now. Smart. Yeah. You know, you never know when you're going to end up in an area that is choked with smoke and you're going to need them. That's kind of a sad thing to think about. Yeah. This is sort of a new danger, yeah. but wildfires is a huge, huge danger that we need to really keep in mind now. Absolutely, Jamie. And you're you're going to groan as soon as I say this. I'm going to bring up one of my persistent tips here on the Peak Northwest podcast. Do you already know what this is? I don't. I don't. Ooh. It is that the weather forecast in the closest town <laughs> does not equate to the weather forecast in the mountains or in whatever terrain in the backcountry you're going to seek. So just right. because, say, uh, I don't know, uh, you are getting a forecast for Bend, Oregon, and it says sunny and 72, no wind, looking perfect, doesn't mean that you're up on South Sister and it's going to be sunny and 72, no wind, looking perfect. You go up in elevation, it's going to get colder, could get windier. Uh, you're obviously more exposed if any weather does roll in. Cloud cover could be different. Seek a forecast that is as close to where you're going as possible. 
It's a tip that I've given a bunch of times here on the show, but is prescient in all seasons and can really go a long way toward mitigating some of those hazards. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jim. Uh, and if you don't know or you want more information, uh, call up the Forest Service, the BLM, state parks, whoever is in charge of managing the area where you are going. Those people are usually more than happy to help out with some tips, let you know what to prepare for. Um, that applies not just to the weather, but to any of the things we're talking about here. And one note for the forecast that I try to use as much as possible, weather.gov is a mm -hmm. uh, tried and true resource, my standard for recreation or just generally what's it going to do in Portland next week. Uh, I'm turning to weather.gov uh, as my first reference point more often than not. So absolutely. Of course, we're getting into the months now where going into the water has all of a sudden become a lot more appealing. So, man, it's one of those warm days, that river, that lake, the Pacific Ocean sounds a lot better than it did, say, a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. But one of the persistent stories that I know I've published multiple times myself is just because it's hot outside, it does not mean the water is safe or palatable at all this time of year. That's right, Jim. This list of outdoor dangers, uh, we just have water listed mm -hmm. as a danger mm -hmm. in many of its forms. Like you said, um, cold water in lakes. Make sure you're wearing life jackets out there because these lakes are often way colder than we expect them to be. And once your body gets into that cold water, your muscles tend to seize up and people can just drop like a stone into the water. Um, and that's how drownings are really, really common on people who can swim, who are strong swimmers. That cold water, our bodies just isn't used to it. And Jim, you mentioned the ocean. I think that's yeah. always, always a big deal. You know, we talk about sneaker waves a lot, which honestly are more common in sort of the um, the fall, winter, and early spring months. Um, but I think all times of year, you need to worry about the tide. Yeah. Um, you know, this isn't much of a swimming kind of ocean, so people don't need to worry about like rip currents very much. But, you know, knowing when the tide is going to come up and go out and making sure you're not caught out in an intertidal area um, and get stranded, which, you know, I've almost become stranded in places before when I've become sort of careless and forgotten about um, how quickly the tide is coming in. Those are all things you need to consider when you're around water. I mean, look, the fact of the matter is that water out here in natural places is a lot colder than it is in, say, California or other parts of the country. So you just need to be mindful of that. It's one of those measures, Jamie, that we can prepare for, at least in part, before we set out. So. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I did a hike uh, that involved a, a good amount of beach walking and basically didn't think about the tide ahead of time. Uh, if I did, extremely minimal thought I put toward that. And as a result, did my hike. Uh, it was kind of an out and back type situation, if I remember correctly. And then I get back to this point in the beach that was, I think I had to go around like a kind of a rocky outcropping or something. Don't remember exactly. And it was like mid torso deep, you know, at least hip deep water that I had to kind of wade through or run through as memory serves. You know, in retrospect, it probably wasn't a super good idea to go through that water. And I was left with really not a lot of options other than kind of turning around. So consult the tide tables, know how to read the tide tables, look up a resource to figure that out ahead of time and time your hike, time your excursion, time your, you know, few hours on the beach in such a way that minimizes your risk. 
Exactly. To toss out another .gov website, noaa.gov, that's N-O-A-A.gov, is a great resource for tide tables. I always use them as opposed to other places. So Jim, next on our list here uh, is uh, poisonous plants. Yeah. And this is something that, um, you know, people, and this is we're kind of getting higher on our level of concern yeah. list. Here. It's something I think a lot of people um, get a little freaked out about. There are kind of three that come to top of my mind anyway, that are the ones people need to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, poison oak, yeah. right? This is pretty prolific in the area. Um, poison ivy as well in other parts of the state. Um, you know, poison oak, typically you can kind of tell it's sort of a shrub. It's down towards the ground, but it looks like, um, sort of waxy oak leaves, the the oak shaped leaf. And you can tell that way. That's kind of the easiest way to, to distinguish it. Um, and so basically just don't, don't touch it. If you're going to be going through the woods where there is some, just wear long pants. Um, I think that's kind of the easiest way just to try to avoid it at all costs. Um, the other one that that people get into trouble a lot with is stinging nettle. Yeah. Um, Jim, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever encountered stinging nettle before. I, I um, think I did actually fairly recently this year. Oh, really? I was walking through a brushy, uh, kind of semi wooded area and had to go underneath a tree and, you know, to get through and put a hand or hands down. And I think I got some in my hand. I'm not positive this is correct or exactly what it was, but, uh, and, and honestly, this, the details of this story, I don't even remember and they don't even matter, but <laughs> I, th- I think I got messed up with some uh, stinging net- nettles here. It's not the worst, but it's not fun, yeah. certainly. And yeah. you, you can kind of tell the leaves, it looks sort of like mint, um, but has these sort of jagged leaves to them. Um, just something, again, to keep aware of. I like, if I'm going to be in brush anywhere, I tend to wear long pants, you know, a long pair of lightweight hiking pants just to just to stay safe. Uh, and then the third one is poison hemlock, which is one that um, for a lot of people can be super, super severe. Um, you don't see it as much like in the woods, but I definitely see it out in open fields, meadows. Um, it is out there and it looks kind of like wild carrot or Queen Anne's lace, um, sort of, in, I believe it's in that, that parsley family um, where it's got, has these sort of these white flowers that come off in several um, nodes or bulbs or whatever they're called. Um, so, you know, it, again, it, I, you just wouldn't hurt to Google this stuff if you're going to be out in these kinds of areas. Get a basic idea of what they look like and then just don't touch them. Just avoid anything that looks like that. Yeah. I My rule of thumb, Jamie, of course, you have the you know leaves of three, let it be mm-hmm. kind of adage uh, for poisonous things. But basically... I try not to trust the foliage. I am not being like, oh, hold on. <laughs> let's rub up against, you know, all of this, you know, voluntarily. I also wear long pants. Oftentimes I will wear both for sun protection, primarily for sun protection, but otherwise kind of a, a loose baggy uh, kind of sun shirt mm-hmm. that keeps that off of your skin more so than you would if you were hiking in, say, a tank top uh, and running shorts. Totally. So. You know, take it for what you will, but that's one thing I try to do when I'm hiking, you know. Yeah. Trees, great. Ferns, I touch up on ferns all the time. Plants that I know, absolutely go nuts. Stuff you don't know, just avoid it. Just avoid it. Jim, the final item we have on the first part of our list here is bugs. Yes. So a lot of insects out there, I should say, that are... um definitely dangerous. Um, so mosquitoes are kind of like the big one. A lot of people are concerned about for a good reason. Um, they, they yeah. can carry West Nile virus. Um, and they can also just, also just be really kind of, uh, a huge enough nuisance to 
ruin your day to um, make you exert a bunch of energy trying to swap them away. Um, there's a lot of ways in which mosquitoes can just be a, a super bad, dangerous nuisance on the trail. Have you ever met a person who's like, ooh, the mosquitoes, I love them. They get along great. <laughs> no. uh, said nobody ever, right? So some small ways, you know, obviously you can't eliminate mosquitoes from wherever you're going. If they exist there, they're going to exist there. But, you know, keep in mind, maybe you're going to pitch a tent out in the wilderness. Maybe as convenient as it is to do so fairly close to the water or, you know, some other kind of uh, wet area. Maybe you're trying to filter water. Maybe you want to be close by your kayaks or where you want to swim. You know, hey, uh, mosquitoes are going to like standing water. Let's be honest. Uh, so that might not be the best spot if mosquitoes are present. You can obviously protect yourself by using mosquito repellents that contain DEET. Uh, which, you know, folks have varying opinions on, but that is one option. Um, I'm reading here from the Oregon Health Authority, but also oil of lemon eucalyptus, or Jamie, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Picardin? Am I right there? Do you even know what that is? I, I've never I, heard of that I before. I don't know. I don't know about uh, that. <laughs> well, anyway... Basically, do some research there. Yes. I clearly don't know what Picardin is, if I'm either even pronouncing that correctly, but uh, Jamie was kind enough to pull up some links that have some information here. Um, you know, other things you can do, of course, wear a long sleeve shirt, long pants, uh, one of those bug net things over your face if it's really bad. Mm -hmm. uh, and try to be uh, judicious if you are camping about how many times you go in and out of your tent uh, and make sure you're zipping it closed when you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other insects um, to be concerned about. Wasps obviously are prolific. I, I would just say stay away from them to give them a wide berth. Uh, and ticks are one that are not nearly as bad here as they are in places in, say, uh, the Northeast. Um, but there are ticks in Oregon, especially down there in Southwest and Southern Oregon. So, um, you know, do some research. If you see if you're going to be in a place where there are ticks, just check yourself. I know I picked one up on the Rogue River Trail once. Not a huge deal. Plucked it off before it got in too deep and, you know, got a nice little um, swollen up spot. But otherwise, it was just totally fine. So definitely beware of of those. You've got it, Jamie. No fun any way you look at it there. So we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, we are going to talk some more about what are probably the dangers people are most concerned about here in the Northwest. All right, folks, we are back talking about natural dangers you may encounter while hiking or otherwise recreating in the great outdoors here in the Northwest. And Jamie, we have saved uh, three of the most alarming dangers for last, but generally categorized under the animal distinction, if you will, here. And a lot of folks not very into snakes. I'm not pro snake. You know, I, I am not <laughs> going to uh, go get a snake as a pet. Say I am not going to be the person who's like picking up the snake and be like, hey, Jamie, look at this. I've also not encountered a lot of snakes. And, and if I was close enough to a wooden surface here, I would knock on wood uh, because I don't specifically desire to encounter any more of them. Um, but surely here, this is a matter of concern running into rattlesnakes specifically um, in some parts of the Northwest. Uh, Jamie, of course, the first tip to save against uh, uh, an encounter with a rattlesnake is to be 
on the lookout for it, right? To be yeah. mindful of where you are and to be watching the trail. But what else uh, should we be doing here while out on the trail to, you know, do our best to avoid these encounters? Yeah, I mean, it's just like with any other dangerous wild animal, you, you want to give it room. If you encounter yeah. one, you want to back away from it. Um, the nice thing about rattlesnakes in particular, as opposed to other snakes, is they have a nice mechanism, the rattle, that yep. tells you that they are upset and that you should back away from them. So if you hear that, if you see it, just stop what you're doing and just back away and give it time to move it off to a safe space. You know, Jim, I've run into snakes all the time on trails. Um, I've run across a rattlesnake once out in the um, mm. eastern part of the gorge. Most snakes are not a big deal. They will just see you and slither off. Rattlesnake bites, though, if you get too close to one, if you try to mess with it, um, a lot of people will try to kill them. There's no reason to kill a rattlesnake. But if you try to mess with it, that's when they strike and they bite you um, or your pets. And rattlesnake bites can be super, super dangerous and they require immediate medical attention. So instead of having to worry about that, Give them space. Um, don't mess with them. Don't go reaching into weird holes and mm -hmm. rocks um, where they like to, to live. You just want to just do everything you can to avoid any kind of encounters with them. Good advice, Jamie. Uh, keep your hands where you can see them, uh, if you will. <laughs> a second animal that is uh, a matter of concern for a lot of folks, and you see this pop up in the news, uh, cougar sightings here and there. Uh, obviously, cougars are large, uh, potentially scary animals, beautiful, of course. Mm -hmm. And Oregon, according to uh, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, has more than 6,000 cougars, uh, also known, of course, as mountain lions. So, you know, seeing them is, of course, uh, rare enough. I have never seen one uh, out in the wild before, for example. But if you do, uh, you should know basically how to handle yourself in, in that kind of situation. Yeah. Again, to reiterate, Jim, that it is extremely rare to come across a cougar. Uh, if you do find yourself face to face with one and it doesn't run away, the difference with cougars is you really want to stay calm and try to stand your ground. Uh, running away is the worst thing you could do. Yep. Um, that, yep. that sort of just triggers their chase response, which will lead them to chase after you um, and makes it way worse. So they say, you know, make yourself look big, maybe open up your jacket, make loud noises. Um, I mean, really like yell at the cougar, show it who's boss. Yep. You want to make it feel like, oh, I don't want to mess with this person. If you make yourself into prey, then it's going to see you as prey. If you make yourself into another predator, um, then it's going to say, it's not worth my time. It's not worth my energy. I'm out of here. So, yep. um, and another thing, you know, with, if you have kids with you, um, ODF and W really recommends too that you pick up your child because um, big cats like cougars. Um, I mean, I've seen this at like zoos, for example, when you see tigers, cougars, jaguars, when they see a small child, that to them is easy prey. Um, and I've seen their eyes get wide um, trying to, you know, eat those children from the other side of the glass. So really make sure that you are picking up your kids, show them that you are protective of them. Um, I mean, cougars aren't dumb. So if, if they think that you are going to be any kind of danger to them, they're going to walk away and let you alone. One thing the Department of Fish and Wildlife says, too, in that regard is, you know, pick up your children, but do so without bending down or turning your back on mm -hmm. the animal. So be mindful of that. You know, if you do back away, 
which is one of the recommendations from uh, the agency. Back away slowly. Of course, don't run. Speak firmly with a, a raised voice. And if the cougar seems aggressive, raise your arms. You know, like Jamie said, open your jacket. Try to look larger. Clap your hands. And in the very unusual event of uh, a cougar attack, basically fight back with any tools, any things, bear pepper spray, sticks, rocks, you name it. Uh, that are available to you. So, Jamie, that's not to be like, oh my gosh, you need to be acutely concerned about cougars every time you go outside. That is that is not it. But in the rare event that you do encounter one, that's what you should know. We've left the uh, the 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 single animal that probably alarms. Uh, I don't know, cougars and and this next one are probably neck and neck, but alarms <laughs> most people. Bears, Jamie. Bears. Uh, folks are afraid of bears. Yes. I, I, bears can be scary. Yeah, they are big animals. They are strong animals. They are smart. And they can kill you uh, very easily if um, they have any sort of reason to do so. Jim, before we get too much into what to do if you see a bear, we should just note that there's a big difference between black bears, which are pretty common here in Oregon around the Pacific Northwest, and grizzly bears, which are a little bit rarer here. You see them a little bit farther east, typically um, places like Yellowstone, Glacier National Park, those areas. And grizzly bears are a lot more dangerous, a little bit more aggressive. Uh, Black bears are typically uh, a little bit easier to deal with. So I've encountered black bears, I think, twice or three times out on the trails here in the Pacific Northwest. And you know, it's a a pretty easy process of avoiding them. The deal with black bears is that they are usually looking for your food, not looking to you as food. They want the food that you've Mm -hmm. brought with you. If that is out and available, they will be there. And you just need to make sure that you are not um, giving them any reason to come into your campsite, any reason to come close to you. You want to keep about as wide a berth as possible from the bears. Yeah, keep your uh, picnic basket, so to speak, uh, out of the uh, bear's reach. Um, And Jamie, there are ways to specifically safeguard against that, one of which, uh, and I know I have borrowed from you, a bear canister. Uh, So a kind of, uh, for lack of a a more nuanced way of explaining it, a sealable canister that you pack into the backcountry with you, um, that you are going to put anything that is food or resembles food. So if your chapstick has a cherry smell, that's going in there. Your toothpaste, mm-hmm. that's going in there. If you keep your food in there unless you're actively using it, eating it, making it, whatever. And then you, you stow it for the night. And in theory, uh, that is a, a container that the bear cannot get into. Um, if there are specific bear boxes available for use, so kind of these almost storage locker looking things that have uh, closing mechanisms that are in theory too complicated for bears to uh, be able to for lack of a better way of putting it, unlock, you know, that's where you should store your things. Moral of the story is do some research ahead of time if it is bear country and mitigate that risk or that interaction as best as possible. Yeah, there's also bear fences we should mention. Um, Some places, small circles of electrified fence inside of which you can store your food. Always a good one. Um, And we should talk about hanging food too. Unless this is sort of a a common popular thing people do is hanging their food, um, you know, in... um, some sort of a container or bag over a branch of a high tree. The thing is that bears are really good at getting that. It's great for probably like raccoons um, or other things. And, you know, if you're in a pinch, I think that's what you should do. 
Um, but bears are extremely smart, like we said. And I have been at campsites where I have sat awake at night and listened to bears pull down people's food. So, um, not as, not always a fail safe way to do it, but if you're in a pinch, that's definitely a way. Um, and Jim, of course, you know, there is the situation of say you're walking along a trail and you encounter a bear. What do you do in that situation? Jamie, this is one of those uh, situations where, of course, if you see one and, you know, some ways away, stop, right? You're not supposed mm-hmm. to approach a bear for any reason. So, you know, you've got your camera with you. You want this really nice photo. Don't mess with it. Give it some space. You know, give it a way to escape. Step off the trail. Or slowly walk away and stay calm, right? Uh, this is going to be a potentially uh you know, blood pressure raising experience for you, but don't run away. Don't make sudden movements, face the bear and slowly back away. And, you know, face the bear. We don't mean like lock it in the eyes and start yelling at it. Right. Uh, you don't need to Mm -hmm. make eye contact with the bear. In fact, uh, recommended that you don't make eye contact with the bear and don't run Jamie. So, when you're out hiking uh, and it's in bear country, it's a good idea to make noise, right? So just, you know, whether that's talking with your hiking companions, whether that's, uh, you know, may have heard of like a bear bell that's going to make noise while you hike, um, whether that's just, you know, hey, bear, you know, saying your ABCs, counting one, two, three, you name it, you know, just letting that, you know, whatever uh, animals are out in the wilderness know that you exist so you don't surprise them. With black bears, especially, as soon as they hear you or know you're there, they take off pretty immediately. I mean, there, there's we can talk about all these these tips about what to do if a bear attacks you, but honestly, in all likelihood, as soon as the bear is aware of your presence, it's gone. I had this experience, Jim. I was hiking in the um, Diamond Peak Wilderness in Oregon, and um, I came down the trail, and there were two young bears on the trail. And as soon as they saw me, they both hmm. split off in different directions away from the trail. And I, I stopped... And I thought, yeah. one of those bears is going to come back across the trail to go be with its companion. And sure enough, I waited like 20 seconds and that bear kind of came back up the trail, looked around and it saw me again and just took off in the direction after its after its friend. So, I mean, the bears don't want anything to do with you. They will attack if they feel threatened. Um, and that happens sometimes. So, you know, similar to the cougar, if a bear in the rare event does attack you, um, the recommendations by the Department of Fish and Wildlife are to fight back. So, you know, shout, be aggressive, You use your rocks, um, sticks, hands, if you have a knife or whatever you can, just try to fight back that bear and make sure it knows like, hey, I don't want to mess with this person. And Jamie, two last tips on that front. Of course, if you're hiking in bear country, Keep your kids close by. This is not a situation where you're feeling a little whoop today and you should let your your wily seven-year-olds run way up the trail ahead of you. Stick as a group. Uh, it's probably best. And, you know, to your level of comfort, uh, <laughs> hike with bear spray. You know, let's say you're traveling in an area that is specific grizzly country. You know, keeping uh, some bear spray close at hand, not at the bottom <laughs> of your pack, mind you, but uh, with, you know, reasonable reaching distance you know, on, on your hip or in a pants pocket or a water bottle pouch on the side of your backpack, something like that. Kind of a better safe than sorry situation, uh, I, I, I would say in that regard. Yeah. Bear spray is one of those things that um, is not, it's not a perfect tool. You know, a lot of times it is better to make you feel safer. 
Um, if you're going to use bear spray, you, you want to make sure that the wind is not blowing in your face and that you recognize that it takes a lot of time for the bear to slow down if it is charging at you. So you have to deploy it pretty quickly and also recognize that it might not actually work against the bear. So um, all that said, I mean, I've I've carried bear spray with me in Glacier when I was hiking around out there, uh, and it made me feel a heck of a whole lot better um, just having it on my hip. I did some hiking in, in Yellowstone a while ago and had bear spray, and it definitely made me feel better about being out there. Jim, I know we kind of wrapped it up here with, with bears being like not as big a deal um, as people make them out to be. And I think that that's great. You know, all this is to say that while there are a lot of these dangers out there, again, a lot of them are extremely rare. Um, and a lot of them um, are not as dangerous as I think we, we tend to fear they might be. But all that said, it is definitely important to know what to do, um, know how to identify certain things and situations so that you can stay as safe as possible while you're out there having a good time. Totally. And preparation is key, as we've talked about a lot here on the show in the past. Do your research, get prepared while you're at home before you set out. The best time to think about well, shoot, should I have bear spray is not when you see that sign at the trailhead saying bears have been sighted in this area, right? Um, do your research at home, figure out what you need, check your forecasts, do the proper things to mitigate your risks, and then go have a good time. Because of course, you're going to have a better time uh, if you are prepared, if you're ready for what you're encountering, and uh, you have a clear head about the supplies that you've brought with you. Jamie, until next time here on the show, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest, and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or a review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the show was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Andrew Thien. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.